views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basili. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. Now here's your host, Dr. Pat. Hey everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. I, mean, I gotta tell you, uh, I, I, I never thought, I never thought like, okay, how many years has it been? I'm just gonna get all about myself here for a second. I, I didn't think about this like in 2004, when my world got changed up and down, I didn't know that I'd be able to be here today with all y'all tuning into the show and having this panel of people today to have the conversation that we're getting ready to have. Amazing. Legislation on Lyme disease, a blessing or a curse. Susan R. Green, Monty Skull, Greg Skull, joining me here today. Why? Because we have to peel back the onion. Some people have said to me and tweeting back to me, no, Pat, it's not about the onion. It's like you're, you're, you're lifting up the rock and watching to see what crawls out. Well, I'm telling you, in today's world, the fact that we're able to even have a conversation like this is a blessing. Let me introduce you to the panel that's joining us here today. And for those of you out there, I just want to say up front, this is a live call-in show. Write the number down if you don't have it, 1-800-930-2819, 1-800-930-2819. So today, I want to introduce you to Susan Green. She's been on the show many times, has been somebody that I have felt a kindred sistership to because she is passionate beyond passion. Now, <clears throat> what is she out in the world doing as a fabulous attorney, she has been someone that has literally been changing, helping to change the law. Why is this important? Well, she's going to talk about that today. Whether you've seen her on television, radio, whether you've seen her speaking in public, whether you've seen her out in legislator-type roles, you'll know in a few minutes what she's passionate about. Susan, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Dr. Pat. It's so great to visit with you, as always. Now, let's talk about Monty for a minute, if we could. Yeah, Susan and I could talk about Monty. Monty's goal is the executive director. Are you ready for this? I can't even believe I'm going to say this. National Capital Lyme and Tick-Borne Disease Association. How blessed is that? That is a nonprofit organization dedicated to Lyme and Tick-Borne Disease. What? What? education, prevention, research, and most important to me, patient support. You're going to hear how Monty has been out in the world, testified, lobbied, educated, 
government levels, you name it, she's been out there doing it. For those of you thinking why, well, today's show is going to tell you why. Because if you are like most of us, and in my case, living in the state of Washington, who doesn't even want to say that Lyme disease exists here, you need a Monty, you need a Susan. Monty, it's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Uh, That's quite an introduction. I'm very pleased to be here today. Oh, boy, we're making a difference. Greg, here's Greg. You know what? When we think about people in the world, we got to have some folks that are going to stand up for us. Veteran telecom attorney advises broadcasters, maybe I should talk to him later after the show, and other communication companies on FCC regulatory compliance. Frequent author, speaker on FCC and telecom issues. This is a big conversation because, you see, i got to tell you right now, I'm an independent radio host. This is an independent uh, network. And because there's nobody telling me what we can and cannot say, or if we say something and maybe it's going to tick off maybe a a sponsor or so, that's not going to happen today. You know, he's joining us here as well because he, too, is passionate about what we're talking about. But most importantly, each of these conversations is part of the weaving of the web to freedom and healing. Greg, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here with you. Um, I, in addition to my telecom work, as you know, I've been working for NatCap Lime and yep. have done uh, uh, legal work for the association as well as legislative and other policy work. And it's great to be here with you and the fine job that you're doing to help educate the public about what's going on with Lyme disease. Well, thank you. And yes, I, I was going to I was hoping that we would get Susan and Monty to give you that big introduction right there, because <laughs> it really does take a village. Uh, Susan, let's start off with, with you, if we could. And uh, we're going to skip the 15 break and we're also going to skip the 45. Um, you know, this show, Lime Talk Radio and, and Lime Global, We've talked about and have done a number of things to educate people. But here we are today. You have one side of the coin. People are celebrating legislation on Lyme disease. You have the other side where people are saying, I'm not so sure. Give us the backdrop for today's conversation. Okay, happy to do it. Well, this year has been an amazing year in terms of new uh, new legislation that was introduced, some passed, and some that uh, effectuated change. Pending, however, right now is a federal bill, which I'm going to let Greg speak about. And Mm -hmm. since it's the only pending bill, I'm going to uh, I'd like to educate everybody out, your listeners, about. You know what the bill represents, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk a little bit about about its strengths, and uh, and then leave it up to the public to decide what it is they're going to do. So, Greg, if you want to go ahead and address yeah. the federal bill, well, sure. Um, right now, well, there's actually two bills uh, in a sense. There's one in the Senate and one in the House that has been passed as a part of the 21st Century Cures Act, but it doesn't appear right now that that act on the House side is moving forward. And we can talk about that and how Mm -hmm. the Senate and the House activities get joined at some point. 
But um, Senator Blumenthal, who's been very active with Lyme disease for some time and, and has been a champion for the Lyme disease community for a long time, going back to his days as Attorney General, has introduced S-1503, um, which uh, has a lot of good intentions. Um, and like many of the other uh, Lyme disease bills, what it does, because of the limitations of what Congress itself can do, uh, designates a, uh, an advisory committee of sorts uh, at uh, HHS to study uh, Lyme disease and come back with recommendations and such. Um, the couple of things that we have concerns about the bill, um, and that can perhaps be taken care of, but need to definitely need attention, mm-hmm. are that uh, the bill uh, calls for a, a attention to a vaccine for Lyme disease. Um, those of us who have studied the issue would like to see a safe and effective vaccine, uh, but we're very concerned that it has a narrow focus, or those who study it would have a very narrow focus focus on the strains of Borrelia that are known right now. And we do know that there are many strains of Borrelia that uh, seem to be popping up that uh, may not be known. And the problem might be that a vaccine be developed and sanctioned by this committee and by HHS and the medical community that doesn't really provide full protection against uh, Lyme disease or other tick-borne diseases and, in fact, could give a false sense of security to people that they have uh, perhaps contracted some other disease because it couldn't be Lyme disease because they've had the vaccine. So we're a bit concerned about that. It also talks about treatment outcome objectives. Uh, We're a little bit uh, concerned that it's too early to address uh, the objectives in the context of the envisioned advisory committee uh, and its projected work because um, treatment is still a highly uh, controversial topic. Um, it's conceivable that there could be a rush to judgment and inadvertently result in a set of standards that essentially define away the problem, and uh, we want to make sure that the problem is properly and thoroughly evaluated uh, with all of the nuances, and we're concerned that um, that could be affected by the composition of the committee. We're also very concerned about the composition of the committee because there's just so far you can go in assuring that Lyme advocate representatives and people who represent all sides of the issue are truly uh, not only represented on the committee but have uh, sufficient uh, authority within the committee or gravitas within the committee to make sure that there is a full weighing of all of the various uh, concerns and points of view and all of the science. We're not sure that all of the science is yet available or that the committee will encourage the uh, research necessary to make sure that we have all of the science. So that's kind of a quick overview of some of our Mm -hmm. concerns. On the other hand, it would be wonderful to have really effective legislation go through. So... um, you know, we have voiced those concerns uh, to uh, a variety of members of Congress and to the powers that be uh, in in the legislature. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, I want to ask, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Sure. I, I want to ask, uh, I want to ask Susan and I want to ask Monty, uh, I want to ask each of you from your perspective and your journeys along the way. I mean, I can think of about three things that come right to the top of my list that I'm concerned about. Um, but I would like to ask each of you, what, what are the priorities that you have of concern? I mean, you know, what do you think that, that, that this particular legislation is going to do positively? And do you have the same concerns that Greg has? Well, if, if uh, I may, this is Susan speaking. Um, one of my big concerns would be the fact that it's an election year. And I don't think that any two people on the planet share the same views about the candidates right now. I think that we are so divided on our representation. This is by no means, uh, you know, it's not like most elections where you have one you like and one you like a little less. This is a very, very heated election. So one of these two individuals will be in charge of appointing a new head of HHS, And the composition of this working group that is to be created according to this federal bill will be decided by the head of HHS. And so depending on who that person is and their their own personal biases or their own personal uh, feelings about Lyme disease, and as we know, Lyme disease is such a hotly debated issue and so controverted, if you get the right person in place uh, who... Has, is knowledgeable about Lyme and who uh, has, you know, loved ones or who has maybe experienced Lyme themselves, yeah. then you will find that the composition of the group will be hopefully very equitably distributed so that there will be representations for, representation from both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think that we do need more dialogue. We need to have uh, a forum where there can be an open exchange of ideas and where both sides can work together and bring all of the information and all the resources to the table so that we can continue to try to solve this puzzle because it's only with all of the pieces that we will make progress and it's only by coming together. Having said that, again, you know, it's like that old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. The composition of this committee would be key. It's going to establish, if this should go through, a working group that will have the power to make recommendations about protocols, treatment protocols, Mm -hmm. that will make recommendations uh, regarding um, uh, the vaccine and in terms of uh, education of of physicians. So if you were to uh, have this committee stacked they could easily adopt perhaps the antiquated IDSA standard of 28 days you're cured, and no offense to the IDSA. I only say that because they were removed from the um, National Guideline Clearinghouse Registry this year, so Mm -hmm. they're no longer up. So I'm assuming that they need to be uh, made more current. Mm -hmm. uh, But what what if that were the focus of HHS? And they appointed people who shared their view on the subject, even though they call for advocates and they call for all kinds of the uh, the composition of the committee should be made up of representatives from all parts of the community. Nonetheless, 
there are people within each um, part of the community that share those kinds of beliefs. And it could wind up federalizing a protocol that could virtually put some of the doctors out of business. Susan makes a good point. Look at it Mm -hmm. this way. If it gets passed, it's probably going to get passed as a tag to the Cures for the 21st Century Act in, in a lame duck session after the election. Or possibly, I mean, it's conceivable that it could get passed on the Senate side uh, in a lame duck session, but then it would have to be uh, uh, that Blumenthal's bill, S-1503, could get passed by itself on the Senate side, but then... You know, it would have to go over to the House, and there's barely time enough for that. But let's just assume that a piece of legislation does get passed in a lame duck session. Regardless of who's elected president, there is going to be a new secretary of HHS. We don't know who that is. Moreover, we don't know who the, who the members of the health uh, subcommittees will be or the, uh, or the full committee, the health full committee on the Senate side. So we don't know... Who's going to be in the driver's seats to follow, to watch this on oversight, or you know who will be the chairman of the committee? Right now, if the, if uh, the Senate doesn't uh, turn over, then Lamar Alexander will probably retain the uh, chairmanship on the Senate side, um, and we need to know who those members are, and we need to be able to be in a position to encourage them that they have to exercise strict oversight, that this has to be a matter that's followed, that Congress doesn't just pass, uh, throw it over to HHS, and then forget about it. Because if it's going to be properly uh, executed, it's going to have to be done with some pretty active oversight, I believe, from uh, the active oversight committees in the House and in the Senate. And we don't know who those people are. Mm-hmm. The other thing that all of your listeners should be thinking about right now is, yes, there is election. There is a major election in about 40 days, not just <laughs> for president, but for many members of the House and many senators who are up for re-election. And if you're Congressman is run, your congressman is running for re-election, and if your senator is running for re-election or a challenger is running, regardless of who your candidate, the candidate you want to support is, you should be in there in the community town hall meetings, in there in talking to their staff, whomever, and asking that member of Congress, what's your position on Lyme disease? Where do you stand on this issue? Let us educate. Let me come over and educate you on this issue because, frankly, this is an important part of my decision-making in determining who I'm going to vote for. And if they get that message now, that'll help when they get elected and you need to come back in and talk to them later. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear from Monty, and then I've got a burning question for you guys. Monty. You know, and thank okay. you, Greg. Thank, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Because, oh boy, oh boy, this is really. Oh boy, this is. Thank you. Go ahead, Monty. Well, all their concerns, I think, are well taken. I agree with mm-hmm. Susan and Greg. You know, they're they're the lawyers that study the bills and help advise and educate those that write the bills, and um, and they participate in the process that the bills go through. My job has always been to reach out to the community to get support for the bills. I work with the patients. But one thing, you asked me or asked us what we yeah. felt were yeah. some concerns. And one thing that, as, a, as an educator, I have a concern about with, with this federal bill 
is the um, the part that talks about a national physician education program. Um, we've been in the situation before here in Virginia where we had a task force, and I was fortunate enough to sit on it, Governor McDonald's task force to study Lyme and tick-borne diseases in Virginia. And we came up with, I don't know, 32 different recommendations uh, that to go to the governor that we wanted um, implemented the following year, and we got a certain amount of money to do that. And one, one of the requests that we made was a physician education program f- free, free for doctors in our state of Virginia. And we were very excited about that because we wanted, of course, physicians here in our state to know about a different approach to treatment, which would be more or less like the ILADS approach. Well, uh, we kept checking to find out whether this uh, program was being put together by our state health department, and we were told over and over again, no, we haven't started working on it. Two weeks before the program was announced, um, you know, we find out about it, and it was a physician education program free for all physicians in Virginia, but it followed the IDSA standard of care. And so it was very disappointing, and I worry about this, a national physician education program, uh, what that would end up being. So I think in this bill, if it does go through, oversight is going to be extremely important. And what I would emphasize to our community is you need to be a part of that process. You need, like Greg and Susan say, to go into your uh, your legislators and voice your opinion about what is happening because oversight is mm-hmm. going to be extremely important. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me just comment on a couple of things and thank you all for sharing this. Okay. The first thing that I'm really struck by is that, um, and, and, and shall we say, uh, and, and, and let's just say it since we did mention HHS, correct? So let's just mm-hmm. stay with a little bit of that HHS for a minute, Secretary Burwell, if we could, right? Um, now, I, I, I missed the memo, but I somehow got an idea. So as we speak, I think, even this week, maybe it was last week, that Secretary Burwell went on the road with the CARB task force to which is making progress on combating antibiotic resistance. Off we go. We've had this committee in effect for a year. They've been looking at bacteria that are resistant. Are You know, right? Are we all following me here for a minute? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Resistant. You can go through every bit of documentation, every bit of, you know, the words. I don't see Lyme. I don't, nothing. This is a huge task force that has been in existence. They're looking at how do we look at uh, people. Two million people become infected with antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Twenty-three thousand die as a result. They're not even talking about anybody in the Lyme community. But this is an ongoing task force, and right. I, I'm just curious how there isn't somebody that is helping everybody connect the dots. Because now we got legislation that says, and this is just me, oh, okay, over here in this state, we're going to approve medication that is all about antibiotics over here. And somewhere in the entire dialogue, 
I don't know that the memo got out to people that, whoa, we're saving lives by maybe the kind of medicine that the CDC is not going to actually cross the T's and dot the I's. There's no conversation about who actually and how lives are being saved. Does anybody want to comment on that, or is that just me ranting and raving for a minute? Well, I'd like to start with just pointing out the following, and that is Mm -hmm. that this is exactly what I referenced when I said we don't know who's going to be appointed Mm -hmm. HHS, but obviously here's an individual who's sensitive to the notion of um, uh, bacteria resistance and Mm -hmm. Where where do they always look when they're talking about uh, mm-hmm. about these uh, very strong bacteria? They always call the superbugs a result of overuse of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a person who is not going to be inclined to a long-term antibiotic protocol. Okay? Right. And if this person, and I, I don't want to speak for this person, but I'm just right, hypothetically, right. if a person such as this who were you know, we're embracing a concept of um, this this uh, resistant and, uh, bacteria. This is a person who's not likely going to be forming a committee of people who right. promote long-term antibiotic use. Oh, let me help support what you just said by reading exactly what this says. Let me help here. There are work with clinical experts. We now know that at least 47 million prescriptions for antibiotics are unnecessarily prescribed every year. This has helped us set targets for reducing inappropriate use. I mean, I think, I think you kind of said something real important right there, didn't you? Yes, I, I, think, I, I think that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're, and they're, not, they're not necessarily just looking at Lyme, prescriptions there is uh, there is uh, a tendency by the medical community to roll out the antibiotics as soon as they see an infection or a suspected infection is the first you know the first uh, option to go with and I think look we as responsible citizens whether we've got Lyme disease or not or whether mm-hmm. a family member has Lyme disease or not we have to recognize this is a serious problem yeah. um, you know the the, the loss of really useful antibiotic treatment for infection, regardless of what the source of that infection is, uh, mm-hmm. is a problem that we are facing as a society. And we need mm-hmm. a cure. We need more research. We need new antibiotics to be developed to, to deal with all of these problems. And we need to figure out how to deal with, uh, with, uh, with resistance issues. Mm-hmm. But the point that we've made, the point, what, the way I feel about it, and the point we've made to people we know at the CDC who come out to try to talk nice to people who are advocating for Lyme patients <laughs> is that while that all may be true, yeah. you, do we sacrifice the people who are currently sick for the sake of the people who are not yet sick and may need, a, a, may need an antibiotic in the future? And the answer to that mm-hmm. cannot be, cannot ethically be, yes, we sacrifice the yeah. people who are currently sick. So we have to treat the people who are currently sick and we have to deal with the problems that we see mm-hmm. coming as best we can and with the best scientific research and methods that we can find. 
Yeah, for those of you out there that would like to chime in with us right now, 1-800-930-2819, 1-800-930-2819. I would like to start with you, Susan, and kind of go around and talk about what the call to action is. And, you know, there's, uh, you all are involved in not just bringing a level of awareness to it, but I know you, I know you all, and you are really about action. For people listening today, they can certainly read things, but I'd love for you to, to tell folks, what is the call to action? What can people do now? Okay, well, you know, what I would, I guess I would probably, to mm-hmm. some degree, uh, deflect on this, and I'll tell you why. Okay. All right. It is this federal bill has been very um, hotly contested in our community. Uh, a large portion of our community supports and promotes this bill. And the one thing that uh, PALTAD, Partners Against Lyme and Tick Associated Diseases, and I believe NATCAP, uh, Lyme, I think one of the things that uh, one of the initiatives we've tried to promote this year is well not this year most years we believe that in order to make progress legislatively that the community must come together and work together because as long as we're a divided community and so long as we are you know attacking each other mm-hmm. why would any politician ever want to help right. a community that that will attack its own right. and so we've learned over the years that we believe that everybody should work together. Having said that, there are strong passions about this bill. Some mm-hmm. people, first of all, it would be a great step if we could ensure that the composition of this working group were really favorable to our community. Uh, many people have reservations about that. And we've just discussed you know, some mm-hmm. of the reasons why. And some uh, people have reservations about you know, the actual tasks of this work group. So with that in mind, there are going to be people that are going to be opposed to this bill. And then there are so many who are in support of the bill. And conversely, there's a third group that says, maybe, but let's keep defining the mm-hmm. working group so that we can ensure that there is that equality of representation. And let's wait until we see who the next appointed Um, Secretary of Human Health and Services is, so we know who's going to be making those choices, because that's really, really key. And so... Can you ask... um, Go ahead, Greg. No, I I was just going to say, and you asked, what can people do now? And I think the thing that people need to do now is what I said earlier, is we're in an active political season right now. Uh, Everybody running for federal office or state office as well, uh, for that matter. They want our listeners' support. This is a time to educate them and to educate their staff and to let them know that this is a very important issue in their district, whether they realize it or not, or even whether, regardless of whether they're in the Northeast, the Southwest, or the Northwest, that it's an important issue in their district. They want to come in and educate them about it, and they want to make it a part of what, their candidate's platform is all about. Yeah. You know, I'm really struck by a couple things here. And, Monty, I want to get to you here in a minute, too, and make sure we talk about this. Uh, I want to encourage people to go to this legislation and and take a look at it. Then I want you to go look at the people on the list. Now, I'm telling you, if you want to really cause a real stir, 
go all the way down to bottom here, you know, to see that uh, uh, when did Senator Bernie Sanders jump in here, right, Vermont? And what I'd like to say is you can start to look at these items look at the people here, and start picking up the phone and ask for a dialogue. Now, is anybody going to talk to you before the elections are over? I don't know. I don't know. But one of the things that I think is really important is to look at this, ask yourself the question, when was it introduced over a year ago? Does it need to be updated? Uh, Because what I'm reading hasn't been. And I'd like to hear... What other than that, where can people go? How do you get involved? Monty, did you want well, to share? Monty, yeah. Uh, let me say a few things here. When you okay. say, how do you get involved in a call yeah. to action? Okay, I yeah. think it's really important, Pat, that your listeners understand that this is your responsibility. This is their responsibility. Mm-hmm. They have to get involved not to rely on other people to tell them what to do or what to support. They need to read the bills themselves, okay? They need to understand the bill and what the bill says and does. And for years, this organization has put on legislative forums to do just that, to talk about what happens with a bill and how it goes through the process and what 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 that bill means. So, first of all, I have doctors that come to me and ask me, Monty, should we support this bill or not? And I said, well, have you read it? And mm. I'll hear the response, no, I don't have time. And when you take a bill like the Cures for the 21st Century, I mean, mm-hmm. how many pages is it, over 300? Yeah. And, and you say sit down and read that. I mean, you can read the Lyme bill. It's only about, I think, eight pages or something. But still... <laughs> How many patients don't do that? And I think it's important to be educated and to be informed. And then, and then you have to go out and be involved. Do what Greg says. Go see your representatives, your legislators. Tell them about what you're going through. Tell them about how much this disease means to you and how it's devastated your family and the numbers, the new numbers that the CDC has quoted. Giving giving them the the statistics are very important. And, um, you know, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. how many people really do get involved and susan and i did a bill in maryland last year and it was a bill that you had to be on every minute of the day to make sure that nothing was changed in the bill and you had to go around and walk the halls in maryland and testify at the committees and people need to get involved in that process okay it's so important because this affects them mm-hmm. So that would be my main thing, is how do you get involved? Who do you contact to get involved? And you you have groups in your state, I'm sure no matter what state you're in, that are very actively involved in legislation. Um, And, you know, as the old story goes, or the saying, the buck starts here, they got to start with themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I, I maybe let me ask, let me ask the Susan, let me ask Susan, let me ask Greg, let me just ask you a question. I, I had this moment. Let me call Linda would say, uh oh, here she goes. She's having a moment. <laughs> yeah, I had a moment and I'm reading the bill. And I went through the bill and I said, oh, my God, this has to be revised. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm not an attorney, but I even know that there, there – and I thought to myself, what if we got a few m- m- amazing attorneys together on, who are on this show right now, reached out to some people in the community, both on the conventional side of medicine that are making progress, and how about people – like a Dr. Nusheen Darvish that is saving lives, right? Uh, And we said to these folks, outside of, I belong to this group, I belong to this group, I belong to this group, and said, you know what, let's take a look at this, and let's see if we can get an update to this, and, and, and take action that might bring us together a little bit closer. Because I agree with you, Susan. I think you said it. You know what this kind of reminds me of? And, oh-oh, I'm going to date myself. Many of us that have gone through the 80s, especially living on the East Coast in New York, and we saw a community, you know, the gay and lesbian community be ripped apart until they did come together uh, over the AIDS epidemic, You know, we could literally learn from that contingency of people of what the power is in coming together. And I think, Susan, that's what you were talking about, right? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Pat, I'm going to let let Susan explain something about an organization called PAL, Partners Against Lyme and Tick-Associated Diseases, because we tried to do just what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Susan, you want to run with it? Well, yes, I'd like to actually address two things. Number one, okay. uh, NatCap Lyme participated in the Institute of Medicine hearings um, back, I don't know, how, what year was it, Monty? I do believe it was 2012 or 11, we, either 11 or 12. Uh, they presented a paper at, that, um, at those hearings. And interestingly, some of the people in the Lyme community, some advocacy leaders, called for a boycott of that of those hearings because there were people like Gary Worms are there. There were people who, who have traditionally been opponents to the Lyme, you know, to our Lyme uh, propositions. And so they said, don't go because they're going to have those doctors. And, you know, what we as an organization decided was, you know, if you don't go, you beat yourself. And so uh-huh. you must always show up prepared and you must always present in a professional manner. And as you keep presenting over time, you will find that, that you have more and more listeners and followers who believe you if you, are, if you always present yourself professionally. And so that was so important because they did have people on both sides of the issue come together. And all of the doctors or most of the doctors expressed a desire and a willingness to keep the dialogue going. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's not been funding for that to, to have a follow-up um, uh, to the Institute of Medicine hearings. But there should be, because we made a lot of progress mm. at that hearing. And the second mm-hmm. thing I would tell you is Partners Against Lyme and Tick-Associated Diseases was mm-hmm. actually Monty's vision. And, you know, we went out and raised money to make it happen. And what it was uh, meant to be was almost like a... Uh, It was an umbrella organization, like a trade association, where all of the advocates from all over the country, all over the world, were welcome to belong to this organization. And it was a place where we could come together, exchange ideas, uh, uh, exchange resources, and 
no one had to give up their proprietary information. No one had to mm-hmm. give up their their mailing list. Nobody had to give up their their concepts, their plans, their their private, you know, whatever they were working on. All they needed to do was come together as a group to start building um, relations, to start bridging the uh, the gaps and developing. Uh, a strong bond mm-hmm. that would bring this community together. We had an inaugural that was wonderful. People came from all kinds of organizations. Some people chose not to participate, but more than than uh, not, people showed up. And what we found was when we actually got together and we were face-to-face, we all had similar agendas. And, you know, a lot of the uh, the concepts that we had had or pre you know the the predisposed uh, mm-hmm. ideas that we had had about each other it all kind of melted away and we all came together as yeah. a group yeah. and it's a wonderful tool in order that you know we might bring this community together and it would be yeah. so great if we could get everybody to to be involved with that I, I love that idea, and I agree with it completely. Myself, Dr. Ronnie, Dr. Darvish, you know, we put our heads together, and one of the things we did was, you know, I'm not invested as a, quote, doctor, right? You know, my degree is in psychology, so I'm not invested whether we go through antibiotics or this. And so we sat down and we said, let's prepare a list of what we have been able to to to, to discover that has actually worked to save lives. That's the only criteria we had. It wasn't about does it have insurance? Is it going to do this? How much does it cost? Do you understand the question? Mm-hmm. What have we discovered mm-hmm. both anecdotally and scientifically across the world that is being used? Do you know, believe it or not, you could come up with a list that's one page, really one page of conventional medicine, natural medicine, integrative medicine, functional medicine, one page that can be attached to a bill so that this is about saving lives. We have a caller. Let's go to the phones. Oh, thank you. Um, I really want to uh, thank you all for what you're doing. I've been following all of this uh, closely for several years, and um, both as a patient and as an activist and a advocate. Um, Susan, I really want to commend you for your, um, you know, and I have personal knowledge of your uh, successes with legislative change. I'm sure your other uh, guests on the show today are equally deserving of uh, praise. I'm just not as familiar with your work, but um, I wholeheartedly agree that we have to uh, unite our voices somehow, and some of the topics uh, that you've raised, uh, I think I've, I've noted for myself some of the issues that you've identified, and um, I um, will be pursuing those. But some of the other things that, from my perspective, I think are important also to include, because I was not legislatively focused until someone in the industry, which I used to be a part of medical device industry, someone yeah. had said to me, um, Paul, if you want to see more money going into scientific research, which is what I am focused on, then uh-huh. you have to get legislative change first. You have to focus yourself now in legislative action. So I did, and I learned a tremendous amount, not only about what makes things happen, but 
what the issues were in the various stakeholders. But um, I particularly also, because probably my bent is the industry side, is I, I watch and I read the research that's published. I um, watch the companies that are in the development um, phase. And Susan, like your point, I think you were making a point earlier about just before about proprietary information, intellectual property. A lot of people in our community don't understand from the industry perspective um, the fact that there are competitive commercial interests that really need to drive some of this, um, not just uh, taxpayer dollars, and that it is a collaboration and there are various factions. Um, to the other point that was made at the very beginning, um, I made a note that, you know, I, I, I get that everyone has to kind of take an interest legislatively as they're able and, you know, whether getting on somebody's coattails or getting directly involved like I recently did, um, regardless of who's going to win, I don't, I don't think it's honest to sort of position, and I'm not accusing anyone there of dishonesty, but speaking for myself, I have to say that whether it's whomever wins, I want to understand their sensitivities and their biases, but I don't want to align myself with one or the other to ingratiate myself. I mean, maybe I'm an idealist and I don't, you know, wouldn't be terribly successful in the lobbying industry. But um, <laughs> again, from an industry point of view, um, I, I want to see the names of the competing companies that are in the yeah. diagnostic space, mm -hmm. in the treatment yep. space, yep. and in the vaccine space. I really am not a big um, proponent of putting my nose in there, um, but it's something that demands attention and it's going to demand attention. So I think the public has to, you know, really raise its voice collectively and, and we've, we've got to tally up all the, the names of the, the nonprofits, the, the non-incorporated groups, and, and get everybody speaking with one voice. Mm -hmm. Wow, thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that with us. I'd like to hear from the panel a, a few thoughts on, well, on let this. Me make one, let me make one comment on that, and I think it's larger than just us. It's larger than just Lyme disease, uh, uh, various Lyme disease interests. Um, you know, we have tended in this country now to polarize on pretty much everything you can think of, and it's, it's glaringly uh, obvious in politics. And the way we get things done in this country is, by, is through compromise and working together. You, ca you can't say, let's all work together, and then we'll all do it my way. So um, we have to learn how to work together, not just to want to work together. And I think that involves a real give and take and a real understanding of a variety of points of view and a willingness to, to take some risks in the context of making compromise in order to get ahead. And I'll let, uh, I'm not going to say what that particularly means um, or what points uh, anyone in particular needs to compromise on or work together on. But uh, the other thing that follows a compromise is follow-through. So once you do, you know, you, you develop a system for monitoring the results of the coming together process and the compromise so that you can make adjustments as time goes on. And I think that we need to focus 
on a way to do that, even within our own community as well as nationally on bigger issues or other issues. I guess I'd like to say, Pat, have Paul give us a call afterwards. Okay, great. <laughs> always use his enthusiasm Absolutely. for wanting to work toward a goal. So, yeah. uh, And why don't we take and, a minute right now to, to give folks information. Let's just give okay. a minute. Let's give phone numbers. Let's give out websites. What's the best way for, what's the best information for people to have? And definitely give folks a number to call. Okay, well, I would say our organizations, through our organization, you can reach Greg, Susan, or myself, uh, uh, and that uh, website is www.natcaplyme.org, natcaplyme.org, and our email address is natcaplyme at natcaplyme.org. Wow, yes. And our telephone number, if you want to give us a call instead, is 703-821-8833. And somebody's there usually to answer at all times. Mm Yeah, I I, I think that this is exactly why we do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. So without opening up a dialogue. And, you know, I, I, I was serious when I referred to uh, the AIDS epidemic and having been part of that and understand, boy, you know, very heated discussions, the many lengths that people went uh, for non-conventional ways to save lives. And I kind of feel we're getting at that place right now um, but do you think we have reached a tipping point yet, which would say, wait a minute, we are really in epidemic mode. We're not kidding now. Well, uh, can I say a few words here about sure. that? I-, I saw something yeah. this year that I haven't seen. I- I've been involved, Pat, since I got infected in 91. Mm-hmm. I've been dealing with this disease for 25 years, mm-hmm. been involved uh, with this association for 16 We've mm-hmm. seen legislation come and go over the years, be introduced federally, state, you name it. We, we've been there, done that. But I saw something this year that happened in Maryland that I've never seen before, and that was where the, a bill that we had introduced in Virginia flew through the Senate and the House unanimously. And people were more aware of the disease. People were better educated. People were concerned about the disease. We're seeing that officials are starting to be compromised or exposed to the disease, and this is making a huge difference, at least in our states here in Virginia and Maryland. So, um, yeah, I I see that maybe we're starting to turn the corner a bit here. Susan, you want to address that? Well, you know, we're almost out of time, and I feel so badly, Pat, because we have so many great bills that occurred this, yeah, this session that yeah. we would have loved to have spoken about, but yeah. they're all you know they're all state bills. Um, but mm-hmm. I will tell you that in every jurisdiction, I mean, the Maryland bill was amazing in that it was the first time in. Usually, a good bill takes uh, sometimes three sessions to get through. This was first time in. 
uh, every single person on both uh, the House and Government Operations Subcommittee as well as the Finance Subcommittee, they all, not only did they pass the bill, they signed on as co-sponsors of the bill, and it flew, it was a unanimous vote. It was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing experience. Um, and our governor, God bless him, Governor Hogan, was wonderful. He signed the bill, and it starts actually October 1st, it rolls out, and it broadens the Virginia bill in that now, at point of service, anywhere a person's blood is drawn, mm-hmm. they must notify the patient that the test is inaccurate, and if their symptoms persist, they should return for further testing and or treatment to their physicians. So um, I guess the thing that it, that struck me, though, was that, there was one advocate in Maryland who took, who was diametrically opposed to the bill, mm. and sent in just a lengthy uh, oppositional piece to each and every member of both committees. And you know, instead of and this person was, we had the the delegates and the senators reach out to this person first and say, "Would you like to be part of this process? Would you like to come on board?" Give us your insights. Give us your input, because we value your you're a citizen of Maryland. Please come join us. And that person said, no, I don't think so, but then went ahead and tried to kill the bill. And that's the kind of thing that, that is so disturbing to me, because mm-hmm. I don't mind, you know, putting in the hours. that I mean, we all put in hours voluntarily. We don't, you know, we don't get paid to do this. And all of us work, I mean, we were working sometimes 10 hours, 12-hour days during the Virginia session and the Maryland session. I don't mind. It's my passion. It's my pleasure, my privilege to serve this community. However, you know, when I'm fighting for people and I find people trying to, you know, tank our efforts without having dialogue, without coming in and working with us and saying, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, and here's why, it's very frustrating. You know, it really makes it difficult to, you know, want to, you know, to do that kind of work, put in those kind of hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, also, also, since we're almost, our time's almost up, I do want to say, Pat, that uh, uh, both Susan and Greg and two other attorneys will be at the ILATS conference in Philadelphia on November 4th and 5th, and they will be giving a a session on the legislative process, what's going on in Congress and state legislation, so and how to be effective. This is to doctors and patients. So if if you're coming to the conference, please feel free to stop by. It's uh, from 1.30 to 5 uh, on uh, Friday. Or Saturday, excuse me, Saturday, which would be the 5th of November. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to thank the three of you. And, Susan, we will do this again because it is important to stop and talk about progress. It's really important to do that. And let me honor and thank all of you for what you have done to even bring us to this point to have this conversation. Thank you all for tuning us in. Thank you all for joining me on the panel today. And I want to remind everyone that you, too, you, too, can be active in your own destiny. We'll see you next time on Lime Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basile. Epic healing for an epic life.
This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease, fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. For more information, visit LimeTalkRadio.com and tune in next time.